Hey, folks, I'm Tom. I'm KJ. You know the drill. We're back again to talk about the Dunlap Champions Club. You know, just because football season goes away after the fall every year, unfortunately, the Dunlap Champions Club does not, and we've told you this before, but it's a great event space that you should consider for your team, family, organization, whatever it is. Space, space, and more space. Anything from 10 to 15 people, or I'm told... As many as 800 can be accommodated. Uh, they, they've got space. They do. They've got, uh, if you've been in the Dunlap Champions Club, you know we're talking about the fourth floor and the sixth floor, really, of the University Center Club. But the fourth floor is 20,000 square feet, floor to ceiling windows, overlooks Bobby Bowden Field. They can set it, you know, whatever you want plated function, theater seating, cocktail reception. If you like uh, the terrace, the little outdoor, and, and actually, this time of year. Yeah, yeah. I might not suggest it for late July, early but, August. But this time of year. This time of year, I think that's an option. Same thing up there. Cocktail reception. They'll set it however you want. Just consider it. It's uh, it, it really is a great space. I've, I've been to several functions there. I'd encourage you to do the same. 850-644-1830 for ticket information, or you can call and schedule a private tour. And now, without further ado, Front Row Knowles. Broadcasting live from the Prime Meridian Bank Studios in the capital city of Tallahassee, this is Front Row Knowles with Tom Block and Keith Jones. Front Row Knowles is brought to you by Cornerstone Tool and Fastener, online at ctf.nu. Now, here's Tom and Keith. Good day, everybody. Tom and KJ with you. Keith, good to see you, sir. Uh, it's good to be rested. Rested after the harrowing experience that was Cameron Indoor on Monday night? Well, that and getting home late Monday night and resting up on Tuesday and trying to be sociable. So here we are. Yeah. We'll talk some basketball. I would like to. Some are still stewing about the end of that game. I thought overall the Cliffs notes for me was don't shoot a lick and you're right there at the end. That's a good takeaway. Of course, another thing that transpired this week is that I found out the exact dates that I'm going to have to get my marriage annulled in two consecutive years when FSU plays LSU. So now we know that officially. Can't you just take a break like they did on Friends? I guess we could do that too. Unfortunately, all the bragging rights are in her corner right now anyway, so I really can't talk much about the fact that LSU is on the schedule. We will discuss that. We've got baseball season starting this week, and I'm excited for baseball season, and we couldn't connect with Meat this week, but we'll get him on in, in future weeks as the season gets going. The book is, and I haven't studied it that closely, they've got a lot of arms, but hitting may be a work in progress. But I normally, just, normally it's kind of the reverse. It's I, not all the time, but I, most of the time. I'm more interested just to see what little tweaks and differences Meat has from his old man, if you will, because I think those that I were— I want to chart— after the fifth inning, how many people swing at the first pitch? Well, there's that, being more aggressive at the plate. There's also being more aggressive in terms of trotting more arms out of the bullpen and not going to the same few guys. So we might see, I, I, you know, I called many FSU Florida baseball games over the years, and Sully for Florida would change pitchers every inning on the Tuesday night games. I mean, nine-inning game, there'd be eight Florida pitchers, and FSU would – typically would try to get five or six out of somebody and then piece together the later innings. But I think Meat's going to be much more of the, hey, let's just keep trotting arms out there. So he did sign Johnny Holstaff? He did. And his brother Charlie. Play Niagara this weekend. And we'll get him on the show. You don't seem that enthused about baseball. Are, right, you, I, are no, you still recovering from no, Duke? What's no, going well, on here? No, I'm I'm ready to get baseball going, but – basketball has taken the bulk of my attention and and i'm still amazed at what the softball team did over the weekend against the number one ranked alabama crimson tide beat them twice moved up to number five from number eight or nine and congratulations Mercy Alameda for getting her 700th win Mercy so, ruled one game. so where do you want i feel like we need to we can go back to basketball we need to give basketball its due i feel like we need to talk some football too in light of this is not new news that came out on Tuesday that FSU and LSU were playing, but it did lead to another round of, frankly, complaining that it's not a home-and-home home series from people. Well, I think one of the things we're beginning to understand that, that people won't like, but the, real, the reality is that television dictates when you play and what time you play. And when I say when, you know, Florida State's playing on a Thursday night or a Friday night or whatever that normally they would play only on Saturday. Television, we've I think we've come to understand, dictates a lot of what goes on relative to when the games are played. 
I think another thing that that has been dictated because of monetary and other situations is that we're going to need to transition and understand that we probably no longer have seven home games as a model. That probably has gone away. And it will be six home games, five away games, and then something else on quote-unquote a neutral site. And the reason is these other stadiums are not being used and they're, you know, the Citrus Association or the Sugar Bowl group are finding ways to generate additional games in those facilities and they are willing to pay for college teams to participate in them. And whether you like it or not, the reality is, in a nutshell, you you clear more money playing one of these neutral site games than you do playing a home game. And I hate saying that. I hate the fact that it exists. But that is my understanding of, quote, unquote, the new reality. Well, except that the new reality is already changing because in the in the last decade, and I may not have all the years right, but Florida State played neutral site games in 2014. They played in Dallas. In 2016, they played in Orlando. In 2017, they played in Atlanta. 2019, they were supposed to play in Jacksonville. In 2020, they're playing in Atlanta. So however many, what is that, five out of ten years? And if you look at the decade of the 20s, the only two neutral site games are these LSU games. So so they're going to two out of ten. And, yes, that is money is the reason there. And, and it'll be a big payday. I don't know what it is. But, but David Coburn has made a shift in terms of adding more meat to the home schedule, particularly in odd years, bringing in Alabama and Georgia, which is – been the tougher sell from a home ticket standpoint if you look at florida state they have florida and clemson as the anchors in even years but in odd years you only have miami now you've got every year until 2031 i think at least through 2029 you've got somebody besides miami that's of substance except for 2023 because this lsu series is a neutral series neutral site series and and i haven't projected it out so you know obviously i'm just talking off the cuff but um Unfortunately, television dictates when you kick, and money is starting to dictate where you kick. Yes, and that's been true for a number of years. But I think what's happened is the economics have set in a little bit more on is it better to take the payday for the neutral site game and what is it doing to your annual fund and your season tickets? And that's where Florida State's made some some adjustments on it. Um, if you look at it, because I did do the homework. The homework that you didn't do, I have right in my hot little hands here. You trying to make me look bad? What's the deal? First of all, 2022 on the home schedule, Georgia Tech comes in. You know, we only play the crossover opponents once a millennium now, and that's the year where Georgia Tech comes here along with Florida and Clemson. That's 2022. That's the year that they play LSU in New Orleans. So really good home schedule, though, is my point, because Georgia Tech will, will be an added draw on top of Florida Clemson. Listen to this, though, in 2023. It's the opposite. So that's the year you play LSU in Orlando. You also play at Florida. You also play at Clemson. And you play at Virginia Tech that year based on the crossover. So how's that for a road schedule? Sounds like Oktoberfest from 81. I don't know if they're all in a row, but that's four games away from Doak that year that are LSU, Florida, Clemson, and Virginia Tech. Wow. So, But anyway, when you look at the rest of the schedule, and you can go through into the 2030s because Notre Dame is scheduled out, but... In 22 and 23, FSU has LSU. In 24, they're at Notre Dame. In 25, you have Alabama. In 26, you have Alabama. In 27 and 28, you have Georgia. In 29, you have Notre Dame. And Notre Dame's on the schedule in 31 and 32, I think, also. And 21, I didn't even mention that. So that will be an opening game as well, correct, on Labor Day? That is. The, the Notre Dame game in 2021 is, is Labor Day night. The LSU games are Labor Day weekend, but Sunday. Anyway, good news. For that, We'll talk more with Bob Ferrante about the scheduling. Our Osceola Insider will join us next segment and his thoughts on that. We'll also d- dive a little bit deeper into the ticket selling business, if you will, from with somebody from the uh, FSU ticket office coming up a little bit later on. But that news has been out for a year or two that FSU was going to play LSU. What happened this week is it was finally made official. The lawyers confirmed. The lawyers finally got done lawyering and they went ahead and signed the contract. Confirmed. And now they're going to play it. Yep. So I-, I would say this. Would it be better home and home? Yes, from a fan experience standpoint. Is it still pretty cool that you're going to play LSU in New Orleans and Orlando? Absolutely. So 
what would be really cool is if we get this past year's LSU team to play the 2013 FSU team. We can do that on computers. We could. It's not nearly as exciting, though, is it? How exciting was it at Cameron the other night? Off the charts. Uh, that was the most um, fill-in-the-blank, whatever adjective, adverb, or both you want to use. Um, an unbelievable experience for the kids. I think candidly, for at least a handful of them, particularly Osborne and Williams, uh, it was a little bit too over the top, and I think it affected them. Uh, but it was as raucous and as as loud as as any time I've ever been there, and the and the kids responded. Now they did not shoot the three ball well. They could have done a better job in free throws. But my takeaway is that on a neutral site, Florida State would beat Duke more times than not, even if they are shooting poorly. Have you been reading my Twitter? I don't Twitter tweet or saw I tall pretty tight. Yeah, I know. Uh, that's exactly what I tweeted after the game. I mean, roughly, I said I'd take Duke right now on a neutral court to go to the Final Four. And let me tell you where that where that game turned. And I should look this up. I apologize, but remember, they, Duke had a missed shot, and their little short little guard came in and flushed on an offensive rebound. They went. That building went nuts. That building was shaking, and and that's where the game turned around. Florida State was down by three, I think, at that point. If they get the defensive rebound, they go back down with a chance to tie or at least go to one if they score. So that was a five-point swing in that regard. And you've done some homework and explained to me. I've gone back and looked as well. The, the While it was still an egregious call against Trent Forrest uh, when, that, uh, when the Duke player swung the elbow, the elbow did not actually strike Trent Forrest. And the, the the angle that ESPN used over the last couple of days, it clearly looks like it did. But there's another angle out there that shows that it wasn't. It's still a foul and or traveling, but it was not nearly as egregious as, as we would the hope it The one thing be. it was not was a foul on Trent Forrest. Correct. Absolutely. It was definitely not that. So if you don't want to call the foul after that, it would have been traveling. But – and we don't need to get into the weeds. I'm not of the opinion that that's why Florida State lost the game. They lost the game because they didn't shoot free throws well enough or three-pointers well enough. Now, having said that, it would have kept it a one-possession game, and you go down and shoot a three, you're tied, and maybe you're playing overtime. But you don't have to make contact with with an elbow. You just have to swing it. Yeah. Now, for it to be called a flagrant, and I'm not the rules expert, for it to be called a flagrant, I do believe you have to make contact. That is my understanding as well. But for it to be an infraction, uh, and, I, and I don't know if it would have been a foul or it just would have been out of bounds to FSU, you can swing the elbow, and if you're swinging it, I forget what the terminology is, basically faster than you're swinging the rest of the torso, which he was, that can be called, and it would have been Florida State ball out of bounds. It, it didn't matter in that point. Here's, here's another takeaway, though. Not just that Florida State, if they make a couple shots, wins that game. Trent Forrest was the best player in the in the game. He was what one now, rebound and two steals away from a very unusual triple double. We've been having conversations about where's the Trent Forrest that we've seen take over games. He took over that game and he was the best player on the court for that, that forty minutes. There were a couple of moves that he made where his first step was quicker yeah, than, was, I, than I've ever seen his first. He step. was splitting double teams well, and that little floater push. It's not even a hook shot. It's just a little teardrop. Yeah. It's it's impressive. It's it really cool. is. And how is the get, how is the team coming back? Mad? Uh, Sad? No, they were very quiet. Um, there were there were no um, that I saw expressions of uh, anger or uh, irritation. Uh, I think Leonard. I wasn't in the locker room, but I can almost tell you. I'd bet money that Leonard's comment was similar. Look, guys, we we were right there. We forced twenty one turnovers. Florida State had 16 steals. When's the last time you saw Duke give up 16 steals? Well, Trent set the record for most steals by an opposing player ever, you know. At Cameron? At Cameron. Because the, the re- Florida State record was 10. At Cameron. At Cameron, declared. The overall record was 10. He was at 8. He, he moved into fifth place with that for single game. Uh, so I think the kids, I mean, then go back and look at the tape. They know 
they were two made shots, three free throws away from being right in that ball game, and either oh, from winning that they were in the ball game. They were yeah. they were those made shots away from winning it exactly. Yeah, and and you know as they say, the eye in the sky doesn't lie. You you know it, and that was probably as good a game as Duke has played in a while. Uh, because you know they were they were very fortunate to beat North, uh, North Carolina on Saturday. If Carolina gets their act together, they're they're a pretty good ball team. They got plenty of talent. So I, I I think even though it was a loss and you don't like moral victories, you know, it's a game that you can look back on and and you know Coach Hamilton always has always said this is an interesting comment. He says the tape. Okay, the tape is the tape, but it's easier to teach from a loss than it is to teach from a win because you got that bad taste in your mouth. So then go back to that tape, look at the things they did wrong, and the kids will be a lot more focused to pay attention to them. Well, they need to be because it doesn't lighten up. You've got Syracuse coming to town this weekend. I mentioned it's opening weekend for baseball, and uh, we talked about it last week. Madison Social Stack of the Month is the Red Velvet Pancake. So it would be a good time to, whether you go before the the noon tip against Cuse or maybe uh, I think the Block family might squeeze it in between games from the Tucker Center on our way to Hauser. Uh, Stop on over at Madison Social. Tell them we said hello. Big weekend for Florida State Athletics. It's always a big show when our Osceola insider Bob Ferrante pays us a visit, and he will do so next right here on Front Row Knowles. Stay with us. Front Row Knowles on 97.9 ESPN Radio is presented by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Now, back to Tom and Keith. Could you make those air drums, Mr. Jones? We've got our Osceola insider on the line as we file her up the Earl Bacon Agency hotline, the Earl Bacon Agency, ensuring your future together. We say hello to Bob Ferrante. How are you, Bob? Guys, how are you doing? We're doing well. We're doing well. Middle of the week. A lot of stuff going on, though. Baseball season getting started. We're still recovering from the Duke uh, game the other night. Big news on the football field. I feel like we should we should talk football first because that's generally what we do in these parts. So not like it was a secret that FSU was going to play LSU. I think the bigger picture of this conversation, Bob, and I know you, you wrote about it on the Osceola, is, is really that FSU has filled out its non-conference slate for the next decade or so. And this being the outlier that it's a neutral site game, the rest of it is is they've done a nice job to attack the the odd years and try to make the home schedule a little bit more attractive when you have Miami and now you're going to have Alabama and Georgia and some others coming in. So uh, we're pretty much through for about the, the, the next decade or so, I think. Yeah, when you look at the Florida State schedule from 2020 through 2030, at least 10 Power 5 opponents in every season. And in 2026, it's Florida, Notre Dame, and at Alabama. So the schedules have been flushed out and filled up pretty well. SEC schools, I think that's what a lot of Florida State fans want is the Seminoles play SEC schools and Notre Dame. Of course, there's some like a Michigan or a U.S. love to see. But this is really uh, shaping up to be a fun uh, group of schedules over the next decade. You know, it's unfortunate that because there's not an element of surprise associated with playing Florida or playing Notre Dame, that you lose value. Like, people know those games are coming, so they don't get excited about them. It'd almost be, you know, if the ACC, they'd know all the Notre Dame dates, just hold them, though, and then, you know, announce that FSU's playing them in 2021, and we'd get excited. But instead, we see it 15 years out, and we're not excited about it. I do think, though, they've done a nice job of certainly adding SEC teams. I, I wonder how many conversations, if any, have been held with Auburn, because it feels like, you know, that would be a natural to come back on as well, given the geography and the proximity. But all in all, I like what they've done with that. I, don't, I can't find much fault with it. I know people are complaining about playing LSU neutral site instead of playing on campus, but I'd still take that as a neutral site game over playing ULM at home or whatever it would be. I mean, that, that's the way they had to go to get that game done. Right. And I think for fans all across the state, Orlando is very attractive. It's not the long haul from, say, South Florida all the way up to Tallahassee. And that really is one game in Orlando over a long stretch of a decade. Um, Like a lot of people, I'd love to see a game in Baton Rouge in 
Athens, Georgia, and we'll see that too. But yeah, Baton Rouge, Tallahassee would have been a nice thing to see. I'm kind of with you guys. Auburn would be great. Uh, home and home with Auburn. Home and home with Tennessee would be wonderful. Still would love to see um, you know Georgia Tech somewhere in the schedule more frequently. I know you know for years nobody wants to play that that triple option because Paul John. See, you mentioned Paul Johnson and the phone line just deteriorates. That's what happens when you bring up the triple option. We lost you there, Bob. But <laughs> Georgia Tech is on the schedule, albeit you know twice every sixteen years. But in twenty twenty two. Perfect. They're coming. They're, They're coming. coming. They're coming. Home game 2022 versus Georgia Tech. Get your tickets now. It just feels like, though, I know you guys have talked about scheduling and maybe doing away with division or, or figuring out how to get geographic rivalries more often. Um, you know, as you say, with Florida State and Auburn, just makes sense. With Florida State and Georgia Tech, makes a lot of sense, too. Um, I, I think that's how you fill up stadiums on yeah, that, that people can see and, and want to see can drive to and just just makes too much sense to, to not happen eventually. Well, that will with the non-conference pretty much solidified for the next decade. One of the questions that is out there is what will the ACC do with with its scheduling? You know, do they go away from because right now the ACC is scheduled out through 2024. But after that, you don't know what the crossover is going to look like. Are they going to change that? Are they going to do pods? Are they going to eliminate divisions? So there is a little bit of uncertainty there um, as to how that will shake. Well, out. and I think the other thing that's come will come into play. And I think part of the reason why the ACC has waited and only gone through 2024 is there's the window of bringing Notre Dame in as a full participant in the ACC. I'm not here to tell you that will or won't happen. I have no clue. I'm just saying that's the window of opportunity to look at it. And then if they go to 16 teams, then I think, Bob, is there's the opportunity to do realignment and reconfiguration now that you've been at it for a while with this with a group larger than nine, which is what it was when Florida State entered the league 25 years ago or whatever it was. I'd love to see go without a division. I just think you want to see your best two teams in the conference championship game. And, you know, let's be honest, does the sports state need to play Boston College or Wake Forest every year? And I think the answer to a lot of fans is no. But can you mix in a, a pit like you're doing this year or Georgia Tech or, or others from the Coastal? I think, again, it, it's just the way I think the fans want to see things and they're going to dictate by going to games. It just, again, it just makes way too much sense for this not to happen eventually. Yeah, hopefully that is the way it's moving. I, I want to change topics, still football, but a little bit of football recruiting here. We're talking with Bob Ferrante, our Osceola insider. You can uh, learn more at theosceola.com. Try a seven-day free trial or subscribe for just six ninety-five a month. I read the article that Jerry Kutz wrote this week, Bob, and it felt like reading Jerry's column from years gone by when there was actually a printed paper and we had to look at that little two-by-two mugshot of Jerry in the the top left corner there. Um, But he wrote about, and and Keith and I have talked about this. Keith, as you know, is not a star guy for recruiting. We talk about this every week, I feel like. But basically he went and looked at Florida State's 2016 recruiting class at the time it was signed and then later when it was reevaluated. I'm just going to take these and cherry pick here and and you can add in. But in 2016, FSU's recruiting class was ranked third at the time. And then four years later, when the Athletic went and re-ranked it, it was outside of the top 35. And conversely, Mike Norvell in 2016 at Memphis signed the 61st ranked recruiting class. And four years later, when re-ranked by the Athletic, it was ranked the number 12 class in the country. So for all of this about FSU just signed the worst class in its history per the star average, I, there and I know this is glasses half full, and I'm the FSU guy, but I, I do think we need to see what happened. I always say this: I want to see the guy on the field when he gets here in September, and then I'll tell you if he can play. Not worry about what we're talking about right now. And, and two other words before you answer that: that we've gotten away from player development. Yeah, I think he took the words out of my mouth. Player development is pretty huge with Coach Norvell and his staff. Yeah, I, I go back to just about everybody I've talked to about who is Mike Norvell and who does he hire? And he hires guys who, yes, they can recruit, but they are very good at identifying guys that they can work with and develop. So 
was something that Tom Luganbill mentioned uh, from ESPN way back that, you know, Mike Norvell finds guys, they're under the radar, they're three stars, but they fit what he wants to do. And he's got a plan. He can see how he can work them into the offense or the defense. This, this staff will be evaluated, not just on how they recruit, but, how they develop these guys over the coming years. We'll start to see it over the spring. I think we'll really see it more in the fall, but you evaluate this class by what they do on the field in 21 and 22, for sure. Just found that article interesting because very seldom does anybody go back and pay attention to any kind of recruiting ranking after the fact. But it makes, you know, when you look at what the product was on the field, that makes a lot more sense. I mean, Florida State's 2016 class certainly didn't pan out. And and sadly, when we look at 2017 or 2015, I bet the results are pretty similar there. All right, baseball starts this weekend, uh, Bob. Or do you want to talk about the Duke game the other night and the way that game ended? Your your choice. Which would you like to go to? So I know you guys have theories as part of the the, the Tom Block, uh, Keith Jones 2020 platform about – improving college football. So I've got one for college basketball. I want to run by you and get your thoughts. I, I really think the way the game was officiated late, and the focus should be more on missed three-point attempts and free throws, yes. But I wonder if college basketball coaches shouldn't have the equivalent of an NFL head coach's challenge flag where you can say to the three-man crew, stop the game, I'd like to have that one reviewed. It's my choice, not your choice. And this is where I really feel strongly that you guys need to go back and take a look. I I just felt like there were some calls pretty late that were very questionable. And, you know, look, the refs get it right plenty of times. But the ones that they don't get right are magnified. And I wonder if there's a solution moving forward that can kind of clean up some of these calls that, just looking back on it, your eyes said one thing, but the TV replay says something else. I'm not opposed to that idea. I mean, this is a bigger conversation. In general, every sport, except tennis, tennis seems to get it right and pretty quick when they do their reviews. Just about every other sport, though, the game is dragging on too long because of the technology. There's 112 camera angles. And and then they look at it, and, and so if you're going to do it for 99 plays, why do you not do it for the 100th becomes the question. So I'm not opposed to just saying, let's scrap it, and you get two a game, and you can pick when to you know use them, and to, to your point. Um, and separate, even before technology evolved, Bob, endgame college basketball has been bad for a lot of years when you get into timeout foul, timeout foul, timeout foul. It's just not a good product. It takes 25 minutes to play a minute and 14 seconds. Keith, weigh in. You're the basketball guy, and and I, I, you know, I hadn't really ever thought about that. But there's an unwritten rule, unfortunately, in the basketball world, that an official that that other than a couple of three things, who who did it go off of, you know, you know, within two minutes, they always go back and look at the clock. It seems because the crew is so small that it's offensive to them to think they made a mistake. So maybe you're right. Maybe if the coach would, you know, have the challenge and he's saying, you know, collectively, not to you who made the call, but he's saying to the group, I want you three to go back and look at it because I think it was wrong. Maybe it takes a little bit of that personal out because I'm telling you, basketball officials get offended when they're asked to, to, to change a call or change their mind. The other thing, though, Bob, to your point, where football is gone, they don't want to review subjective calls. They don't want to go back. You can't throw a flag and say, hey, review if that was holding. And so you get into whether it was a foul or not, and that's where that comes in. It's not like you're asking them to challenge, was that actually out on Duke or out on me? Uh, But I like where you're headed with it. I, I don't know the perfect answer to it. I just know that there's so much stoppage in every sport now that when they don't stop it for something that seems pretty obvious. I mean, regardless of what the ultimate call would have been, when a guy's flailing his elbows like that, how many times have we sat at the Tucker Center and they go review something because an elbow accidentally breezed somebody's ear and they spend five minutes looking at it to determine if it was a flagrant or not. Now you got a guy wildly swinging elbows, but they don't want to review it to see if he hit Trent or didn't hit Trent or whatever. So 
I agree to I, your to your first point. It, it was more about missed shots, but there needs to be a better way at the end, and I don't have the answer. Yeah, my only suggestion would be, you know, put 90 seconds on the clock for the three-man crew to come up with a conclusion. And if you want to run a commercial over the top of it and maybe call that one of your end-of-game media timeouts or whatever, however you want to formulate it to make it best, I'm in agreement with you. These, these last two to five minutes of basketball games are too drawn out. But but there are some good solutions that are realistic. I, I think, again, 90 seconds on the clock in college basketball and, and maybe the same thing on a targeting call. We've seen in, in college football these replays taking so long. Same thing, 90 seconds, figure it out, and if you can't, move along. Uh, well, my solution Here he targeting. goes, here he goes. You, you, you teed me up. Uh, just enforce the penalty and let the league office determine the next day if it was targeting or not. And they can enforce it there, and we can stop wasting 10 minutes of game time every Saturday. And even Amen, better, brother. even better, do it universally instead of letting the conferences dictate it. But that's the conferences have too much power, and it's going to take a, it's a tough putt to get there. All right, so let's go to baseball. What excites you about uh, Mike Martin Jr.'s uh, or Meets first go round here, Bob? I think this pitching staff has is, is really got a chance to be exceptional. You know, between C.J. Van Eyck, Shane Drohan, Connor Grady as your, your weekend guys. But really also having a, an experienced catcher in Matthew Nelson coming back. Just did an interview with him the other day and I posted that on the Osceola. He's a really insightful kid who um, has an interest in so many things, baseball and, and beyond. Um, I, I think this, this could be a really intriguing team in that the pitching is going to have to carry the, the lineup because it sounds like there's going to be a number of platoons in the infield. Um, the outfield, probably very settled. But I think this is a, a team where the pitching is going to be very far ahead, and it's going, to, it's going to have to carry the hitting early on. So fun to watch. Again, I think Valentine's Day is maybe appropriate it's, uh, for the love of the game that baseball is, is on opening day on Friday on, on Valentine's Day. Lead-off dinner on Thursday night. And happy Valentine's to your hunt on uh, on Friday and over the weekend. Bob, anything else for the good of the order, sir? Guys, it's been busy. I think it's been great. Though. A lot of football news, basketball, baseball, softball knocked off uh, number one Alabama twice last weekend. It it's, uh, seems like spring sports is uh, is off to a good start. And, and basketball, again, two top uh, 15 programs that each have 20 wins again. So congratulations there. Bob, we appreciate the work you do at the Osceola. Thanks as always. Take care, guys. Take care, Bob. Uh, Keith, we'll spend the commercial break. We'll figure out how to solve the uh, end game situation for college basketball. If we put our heads together for two minutes, surely we can come up with a... I don't know why I'd never considered a challenge for basketball coaches. That, that I'm disappointed in myself. That's a pretty good well, idea. I just think the bigger thing, is, and, and this truthfully it comes more from watching ACC football than other sports but when there's eight reviews a game over the nonsense you know what is it the 21 yard line or the 21 and a half I mean there's got to be a better way all right we'll come back continue with front row Knowles after this Front Row Knowles on 97.9 ESPN Radio is presented by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Now, back to Tom and Keith. Back on Front Row Knowles, Tom and KJ with you on this Wednesday. We have talked about the Duke game the other night. We talked about football. We're going to talk about tickets right now and Specifically, we're going to get into a new interesting uh, ticket that FSU's marketing for football season. But in light of the fact, Keith, that the team you cover right now during basketball season is, is going to be heading to Atlanta for the Final Four, I figured you might as well have a guy from the ticket office on now because, you know, we'll probably be looking for tickets for the Final Four. Mark Cameron, Senior Director of Ticket Sales Service and Retention from the FSU Ticket Office joins us. How are you, Mark? Doing well, Tom. Thanks for having me. Be a good problem for you guys if you're trying to sell Final Four tickets this year, by the way, I would think. <laughs> I'll need eight, by the way, Mark. Eight. E I G H T. Especially with the location this year, it's going to be one where uh, we're going to start getting a lot of interesting requests in, which is a good problem to have. Yeah, it's in Atlanta for those who don't know. So again, we'll talk football, but I do want to I do want to start with basketball because uh, it's been remarkable to watch the success that Leonard has enjoyed the last couple of years, and this year in particular, 
you know, the, the student tickets become available, and I feel like 20 minutes later I see a tweet that says the students have fulfilled their allotment and the game's a hard sellout. And, you know, that's what we're looking at for Syracuse again this weekend, I think, as far as I know. So um, obviously you guys have been a little bit busier maybe than typically, and it feels like we got to be on some sort of record pace here, at least in recent years, with the, with the volume and the attendance we've seen at the Tucker Center. Yeah, absolutely. It's been fantastic. And you just hit the nail on the head right there talking about this Saturday's game against Syracuse. Uh, at a hard sellout now, and it's crazy because this will be my uh, my ninth basketball season since I've been here at Florida State and Seminole Boosters, and we weren't selling out games like Syracuse and Notre Dame, even when the team was performing well. Uh, you know, typically those hard sellouts were Duke and North Carolina, and they seem to be at times opponent driven. And it's been really cool now to see the support this year uh, behind this particular team. And of course, it didn't just start this year; we saw the past couple seasons a lot of excitement and energy around the deep runs we've made in the tournament, and it really has translated well into ticket sales and a, a packed Tucker Center for sure. Mark, we look to to the north end zone, if you would call it a, a football field, uh, a football stadium, and we see the students, and every, every seat's taken because those tickets are available, right. they take them. And then where I sit, right beside Deckerhoff at midcourt, you look up to behind the benches, between the benches, and there's still empty seats. Those tickets are sold. People have those tickets, but if they choose right. not to come, that seat remains empty. And, and that's not the look that we're trying to project and certainly not the voice that we want the Tucker Center to be. What's what's being done to look at issues like that? Yeah, that, that's been a, a tough spot for us here because you mentioned we'll have a hard sellout and then you, the camera pans and you see open seats and people say, well, I couldn't get a ticket. How come I can't look at the best seats being available? And it's tough because at the end of the day, these are seat holders that have purchased the right to have that seat. So ultimately, you know, they've paid for them and it's their ticket. So the biggest thing we want to do is try and make it easier for us to get those tickets back in the future. Uh, right now, we do have the, the marketplace with StubHub where you can one-click resell via StubHub once you log into your Seminoles.com account. Uh, for those that aren't taking advantage of that, though, we're trying to engage our, our ticketing partner and others to see how we can have it maybe be even easier to return unused tickets for us, whether those tickets get donated then or whether it's something where they get credit for those tickets and we resell them and then they can use that towards additional tickets. These are discussions we're having now because we understand fans are frustrated and we want to make sure that at the end of the day, like you said, it looks right too. Um, having that, that sold-out crowd, but then also having those seats with the television pickup be very visible and having fans in there, and they're excited and engaged. One byproduct of winning and being successful that uh, I'm sure helps sell tickets, the, the tip times are, are better. We're not playing these 9 o'clock Wednesday night. I mean, we're getting in, the big, we're getting in big windows now. I mean, we can uh, not for right. you. We can we can complain about forty eight hour turnarounds or whatever, and how the league schedule. The reality is, if you're going to be one of the top three or four programs, you're going to have to do those things. And and it's a good problem that FSU's playing better tip time windows now. Yeah, that's been huge too. I mean, it's great. Like you just mentioned it too. We've we've heard a lot of hey, Tuesday at nine o'clock isn't exactly a game I can go to and, and get home at a reasonable time and wake up for work in the morning. So it's great to have a little bit of help there on the schedule and then just weekend games as well. I mentioned uh, at the beginning there, Notre Dame and Syracuse, those were both Saturday games. Uh, You know, We're looking forward to having those type of games. We have Boston College at the very end of the year on March 7th on a Saturday. So a lot of weekend-driven games as well, too, which is exciting. So that's where we're seeing a lot of people even traveling for the games uh, as opposed to obviously those midweek games. It's difficult to to get out-of-town fans in as well. We're talking with Mark Cameron, the Senior Director of Ticket Sales Service and Retention at the FSU Ticket Office. And the the genesis of uh, this interview was really related to football. So let's segue over there. And I guess a good segue is that you have a ticket that's similar to what I'm about to mention that, that's debuting for football, but you've had it for basketball a couple of years. I think maybe it's called the bench warmer pass or something like that for basketball, yep. but unconquered pass for football. So give me the Cliffs notes on, on what that is. Yeah, so you'd mentioned the Benchwarmer Pass with basketball. This is a company called Experience that has been a partner of ours for about three and a half years now. And they do some really cool things, but one of the things that's really exciting about what they do, they have the ability to do a mobile season ticket pass that's integrated through the FSU Game Day app. And what it is, it's a new seat each game. So we call it the Benchwarmer Pass because you could end up behind the bench or you could be behind the basket. You could be anywhere you didn't know until 24 to 48 hours prior. But what our fan base we saw really liked about this pass for basketball is the flexibility. Uh, so you're able to link with friends. So if I have two of the passes, you have two, and Keith has two, 
we can decide for the Syracuse game this Saturday we want our seats to be together, or we don't have to be linked up together. You can also add guest tickets. Once again, I mentioned stuff about returning. This company allows us to have return tickets, so you can return tickets for a credit that can be used for guest tickets. And it's been a great success in basketball, so it seemed just natural that we carried that over into football. So last year we tried something new with, with our Tribe Pass, which was a voucher program, which you were able to redeem vouchers for different games. And we saw a little bit of success there, but I think people really like the idea of starting with a season ticket and then being able to exchange out of it or add additional tickets with the ticket exchange functions that we see with the Benchwarmer Pass and now the Unconquered Pass. So that's exactly what we just launched here for this fall for, for 2020 football. It's the Unconquered Pass, so it gets you a ticket for every single home game. But once again, you have some flexibility there being able to move around the stadium. Your seat will be assigned 24 to 48 hours prior, which gives you the ability to return tickets, purchase extra tickets, link with friends. That pass is just $249 per person. And then we also have a 20% discount for $199 for anyone who is a recent FSU graduate December 2016 or later. So let me ask you as the skeptic, though, the skeptic's going to look at this and say that all the seats are going to be in the end zone, maybe the opposite end zone. So is there a guarantee that, you know, if you've got six home games that you're at least between the 30s for one or two of them, or how does that work? Or is it purely just random? Yeah, so the seat assignment's completely random. It's out of our hands, actually. They have a, an algorithm that basically seats people based on what we open up. Most of the seats that you'll see will be either in the east side corners or west side corners. We did add an option for basketball this year that I'm sorry for, for football this year, where if you become a 2020 Seminole Booster member starting at just seventy dollars, the Iron Arrow level, that your seat will always be on the west side. So uh, that's guaranteed sections 27 to 39. For some of these, it may be the west side corners, but every now and then you never know where the seat may be because just like we do with basketball, we're going to grab some really good seats too. And then it's just kind of a numbers game on whether or not you get a really good location for a game that's between the 30s or if you end up more around the 10-5 or, or kind of corner end zone there. Mark, one of the realities of football is that winning uh, kind of solves all ticket problems. And when you're not winning, you, you have issues. But with a new head coach coming in, I know this happened two years ago, but uh, there appears to be some momentum uh, with Norvell being named as the new head coach and, and what he's bringing to the program seems to be a, some renewed interest of folks that maybe had uh, wandered away a little bit and they're finding their way back as it relates to ticket sales. Definitely. It's been exciting. There's a lot of people that have a renewed energy uh, around coming out to the games. Looking at where we were this time last year, We've sold about two and a half times as many new season tickets as we did this time last year. We're approaching 1,000 new season tickets sold combined between our main stands and Champions Club. And it's just an exciting time to be around the program because you had mentioned the last couple of years some struggles there, last three really in terms of win-loss record. And because of that, we've lost thousands of season tickets in that stadium. So I look at it as not only are people excited now about the new coaching staff and opportunity, but there's some really cool seats available that, quite frankly, haven't been available since I've been here. And so people have a really great opportunity to sit 50-yard line and then sit in these great prime locations that, to be honest, probably after this season won't be available again anytime soon. So we've kind of almost got down to a low point there, and you start seeing it building back up where people are excited and engaged, and the great seats are going to go quick again. Spring football will be our first chance to see Mike Norvell's product on the field. This is still new to me, even though it's probably been out there three, four, or five years. But a ticket's required for that, right? How do, how do people get tickets for the spring game? Correct. Yep. So uh, so tickets will be there. Uh, they're general admissions throughout the, the main stands there for just $10. And then in our Champions Club, the price ranges, whether or not you're a booster member or club season ticket holder, so anywhere from 40 to $80 in the Champions Club, which includes food and drink. Uh, those tickets are on sale now, so they can be purchased on Seminoles.com or by calling our main line there at uh, 850-644-1830. And then after that, the season opener is West Virginia and Atlanta, and I know tickets are on sale there. Is that uh, – kind of give us – paint a picture of – is that an even split between WVU and FSU in terms of ticket allotment? I, I guess the obviously the stadium and the organizers have their, their allotment too, but how does that break down? Yeah, it'll be an even split. So very similar to when we played that game – in the 2017 season, kicking off against Alabama, uh, which was really cool. That was the first game that was played there, essentially. Um, so really awesome opportunity to return to that stadium. For those fans that haven't been, you really do have to see it. It's a very cool venue. And we essentially have a 50-50 split down the middle. 
So we have a whole sideline. They have a whole sideline, with the exception of some of the things you mentioned. There's uh, there's PSL Falcons holders that get first right refusal on suites and in some club seats and things like that. But essentially for that game, we have a request period right now for all of our 2020 Seminole Booster members that runs until June 15th. And then we also have upper-level seats available, first-come, first-serve. So those have been a pretty hot item right now. Between the two, the lower-level requests and the, uh, the upper-level sold, uh, we're just over 5,000 tickets accounted for already. So you definitely want to make your plans if you haven't already. Final question, and we'll let you go. It, it occurs to me that I think it was last year that – uh, softball was no longer free and that there was a ticket required in admission price. I'm wondering what the what the results or ramifications were on that. Obviously, it's a great product that Lonnie puts out there every game. Yeah, it was one we were a little nervous about just because any time that you have such great support like we do, we have amazing softball fans, you're always worried that, oh, man, if we make it ticketed now, is it going to be an empty stadium? And then what are we doing? But it's been the exact opposite. It's been people coming out of the woodwork to buy our reserve season tickets that we have right in the middle. And then also our general admission season tickets that we've sold very well. And we saw even a greater leap this year in terms of season tickets sold than we did the first year we did it, which was last year. Then, of course, we just had our uh, our season openers here this past weekend, sold out the game against Alabama, and, of course, came out on top that game, knocking off number one, which is always good. But uh, it's just been great to see the, the turnout for these games, and our softball fans can't get enough, so it's exciting to see Mark, appreciate the insight and the update, and uh, I hope that your phone continues to ring. And remember, Mark, that's eight, E-I-G-H-T, eight for KJ in Atlanta. (laughs) I'll see what I can do, but uh, definitely appreciate you guys having me on, and uh, just an exciting time to be around uh, FSU Athletics right now. Appreciate it. Mark Cameron from the FSU Ticket Office. By the way, Mark uh, said that he can accommodate that request. They'll be upper level, far corner, furthest corner from where they actually put the court. Because true story, I've actually gone to two Final Fours, and I got the tickets from the NCAA. They do a lottery. So general fan, you can go in, and you can buy tickets, and they are the worst tickets. I did this at the Superdome, actually, and I needed to rent binoculars to watch it. It was the Dwayne Wade Marquette Syracuse Final Four. But they don't put – Mark likes me. They don't put the basketball court in the center of the football field. I'm aware of that. It's kind of like – the Carrier Dome. I, I'm experienced with that. Do they have air conditioning in the Carrier Dome? They do not. Two years from now, though, right? They're adding it? Although I was told that the press box was actually air conditioned. They just don't turn it on. There you go. We'll come back, wrap things up after this on Front Row Knowles. Front Row Knowles is brought to you by the Osceola, dedicated to FSU sports and fan experiences. Sign up for a free trial at theosceola.com or call 833-FSU-NEWS. Last segment here on Front Row Knowles, Tom and KJ with you. Keith, Syracuse this weekend, any concern? Well, they play the zone, and, and Florida State historically under Coach Ham has struggled a little bit against the zone. But um, uh, this team's a little different. They'll, they'll they'll go high post around the foul line and uh, turn around front up a little bit. I think this team will be a little different in how they attack the post or the the zone rather uh, against Syracuse this the time. The mid range. Remember when that year Brian Angola? He was just he must have taken twenty shots from the free throw line there, just breaking down yep. that zone. Yep. That's, that's where they yep. find the hole in the zone. Yeah, Syracuse is one of those teams, uh, you know, they started off and struggled a little bit, but here they are, they're they're making a charge. They're they're a team that's trying to get into the tournament, so they've, they've got a lot to well, play Well, there's for. a reason Bayham has won 600, 700, 800, 900, however many games has been. He, he's, he's not forgotten how to coach basketball. Speaking of victories, during the broadcast the other night, you were on the air with Gene, but the TV broadcast, Sean McDonough pointed out that it was two of the top five winningest coaches in ACC history, which we know, but to hear that. Now, they backed it up with the graphic that shows that Krzyzewski is like a thousand miles ahead of everybody else. But it still uh, is impressive to think about that job that Leonard has done. I I just don't – we're living it right now. I don't know if we're truly appreciating it. We don't want to pinch ourselves. We don't. He got got another top 50 commit. I mean, next year's team, if somehow you get one of the two NBA guys to come back – let alone both. I mean, just imagine what next year is going to be like. I'm we, talking about we, Patrick we, Williams and Vassell. We, and that's collective we, Florida State faithful, do not appreciate as much as we should what Leonard has done with this program. 
both in terms of on the court. I mean, they're 61-3 and three in the last 64 games at home. The Tucker Center is more um, winning in that time frame, a better winning record than Cameron Indoor. And secondly, 96 of the 98 kids have graduated. Yeah, he's he's done a phenomenal job. It's, I just I I want to see him get rewarded by going to a final four. And they've got a team that could do it this year. It's about drawing, it's about getting hot and all those type things. But uh that that I walked away from that Duke game almost feeling I, I felt, you win? I felt fine. Yeah, you want to win. Because we've been blown out but, so but, many but times. But you know what else there. though? And even though I thought there was nerves in that game too that contributed to the free throws, but if if there if there were that many nerves across the board when you're losing by ten or twelve or whatever it was, six minutes into the game. You get your doors blown off, and th- and this team didn't do that. Exactly. And actually, you know, you look exactly. at halftime, and it's it's it a one, one point, point game at halftime. Yeah. yeah. By you, the way, something I saw at Cameron, uh, you know, there's been a little pushback uh, from some of the naysayers about what Florida State's doing with their facilities and venues in terms of opening them up and allowing them to be used for parties or banquets or functions and that type of thing. We had Jess on last week talking about uh, those opportunities, et cetera, et cetera. They do the same thing at Duke. Who's pushing back about it? You, there's some zings in the paper, and there's some people that have mentioned some things about, oh, well, you know, you, 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 why'd you build it so big if you have to use it for other things? Well, everybody does it. I mean, you you can rent Cameron Indoor Stadium to do something if you want to at Duke University. Welcome to reality, gang. You know, you know who couldn't, though? And I actually, I got the tour this one year. One of the first years we played at Louisville, I went and toured the Yum Center with somebody from Louisville and a couple of folks from FSU, and we're getting walked through the Yum Center, and they bring us into the Louisville men's locker room. And Paul McCartney, it was either Paul McCartney or Elton John, somebody that was playing there wanted that locker room instead of the other one. The answer was no. Wow. The answer was no. So just think about that, because I'm pretty sure, with due respect to the Tucker Center, that if Paul McCartney wants to play there and wants all the locker rooms, we're going to make it happen. You hear me? It's 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 Sir Paul, and and you know who could make it happen is is Ron and the fine folks at Cornerstone Tool and Faster. They could they could jimmy that thing up however he wants it, right? Well, you know, if you do have a do it yourself project that needs to be finished, you can go see Ron and his eligible staff. Two locations, as we mention all the time: eleven ten Stuckey Avenue, thirty two ninety six Crawfordville Highway. Reach them at five eight zero twelve hundred or online at www.ctf.nu. I can't remember which artist it was, but it was somebody at that level, and literally they wanted that in the contract, and they would not put that. They would not grant access to the men's basketball locker room to use as his well, locker room. If you, if you want to have some fun, Google and what's the name of it? T Lang, what's the name I'm of it? I'm talking about the Yum Center, by the way, where FSU crushed Louisville earlier. Exactly. What's what do they call the addendums to the contracts where they get the, the riders? The riders. They get the brown M and M's and Avion water and. It's All a, that stuff. You know Tomato juice called? cooled uh, precisely to 68 degrees. Yeah. 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 And yeah. Keith's rider is like a couple of chicken wings and a half-drunk bottle of water, right? Is that, is that Well, no, I want a full bottle of water now. I'm in year 20. <laughs> Rolling that's, Rock? Don't go down that road. <laughs> that's another story for another day. Yeah, that's that's Front Row Knowles unplugged. Unplugged. Yes, but we're going to take a break, and we'll talk to you again next week right here.